Lesson one, basic hip. Happy New Year, and welcome to the Jazz Session. This is episode 471 for January 1st, 2019. On today's show, guitarist Bobby Broom returns to the Jazz Session. Please support the show by becoming a member at patreon.com slash the jazz session, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the jazz session. Bobby Broom's latest recording is called Soul Fingers. Let's hear a track. guitarist Bobby Broom. He's got a new record out called Soul Fingers. And uh, Bobby, it's great to have you back on the Jazz Session. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate you having me. So uh, I wanted to start with uh, a very brief story, which is uh, I think in August was Rasan Roland Kirk's birthday. And, and I listened over the course of that day and the next couple of days to all of his recorded output chronologically, for the, which just every I do every few years. Because I love him. But there's a if you do that, there comes a point where it's clear that Rasan thought to himself, well, and obviously I'm ascribing these thoughts to him, but it seems like he thought to himself, you know, there's a lot of other music out there I could be dealing with. And I should start playing some of the like the Motown and soul and funk and pop music that is in existence around me. And so he did. Mm -hmm. And when I was listening to this record, I was thinking this feels very much kind of like out of that world where there's like a lot of other music that you could deal with in a jazz context and it feels very much like you're doing that like you're saying well here's a bunch of other stuff why you know why can't we just why can't we play this too (laughs) which just felt very kind of fresh and and nice to me and so i just wanted to ask you kind of about the origins of this this record well um if you've followed my uh, career in, as far as a re- being a recording artist, you know that I uh, am want to find this kind of material from my past, from my childhood. This is kind of my uh, an underpinning or like a, a common um, recurring rather theme uh, for me. Um 
I try not to do it uh, every record <laughs> and to break it up, but I find that I uh, invariably go back uh, to my childhood for material to play and to interpret. Um, there is just a wealth, uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's a wealth of material um, that is um, substantive and valid from the 1970s, 60s and 70s. And uh, that's kind of the period that um, was my introduction to music in general. So, Bobby, can you say more about the words substantive and valid? What what do they mean to you in this context? Well, uh, as a as an instrumentalist looking to present myself and via material uh, as far as interpreting and expounding upon material, I'm looking for certain elements, certain musical elements to be strong. And in this case, I'm thinking about those being uh, melody and harmony. Uh, of course, rhythm is important as well and uh, something that I deal with. But in terms of a song, um, uh, compositionally, uh, I'm looking for uh, an attractive, for lack of a better word, enticing, um, memorable melody, uh, and harmony that allows for not all the time, but but often I'm looking for a harmonic structure that uh, has uh, uh, some level of involvement so that, um, you know, as a jazz musician, we concern ourselves with chord changes and progressions and that kind of thing. And, and that's the terrain that we, uh, that we explore and travel um, and use to uh, display our uh, prowess and to, uh, you know, just have a good time. So it, sometimes we'll choose uh, a piece of music that uh, is just dealing with one chord or dealing with a, a, a couple of chords, uh, sort of like a vamp or something like that. That's one way of doing it. Other times we'll choose uh, songs that have more motion harmonically, chords are moving around more, and uh, song form that has certain structures that we uh, are uh, familiar with and uh, are commonplace in um, in our music and Western music. So these are all things that um, that come into consideration. Uh, subconsciously and sometimes consciously as I'm uh, going through material and trying to figure out or trying to uh, realize what I want to do. Thank you. 
harder to bring kind of rock and pop music into the improvising world because of its harmonic structure which is often not certainly not always by any means but often much simpler it's you know kind of a cliche to say you know there's all these three chord rock songs but then years and years ago one day i realized oh wait like half this modal music that i love is one fewer chord than that exactly. <laughs> you know so you can exactly. do anything with anything if you put your mind to it exactly well if you know what you're doing uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we we have to differentiate between um, styles, periods, and and that kind of thing. I I think that maybe when we think about pop music, beginning maybe in the mid seventies, late seventies into the eighties, yeah, structurally, simplicity became more the norm uh, at that time. Um, song form became less form <laughs> involving less form and it became simpler uh, a lot of one chord a lot of vamping a lot of repetition but at the same time there were always songs um, with common song form structures a B A A A B A and 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 that kind of the kind of song forms that arose uh, really from the beginning of of, of of modern songwriting, but certainly during the Tin Pan Alley and um, show music eras, uh, those forms still exist today. They may be harder to find in terms of not being. Um, commonplace as far as uh, the general public's access to, you know, again, substantive music, uh, but it's out there. Songs are songs are still being written and 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 exist. So for this album, uh, you've put together a trio of Ben Patterson on organ and Kobe Watkins on drums. And the, as I understand it, the origins of this trio go back uh, about four years or so to when you guys were opening for one of the bands whose music you play on this album. Can you tell us about that? Right. Well, um, so in 2013, uh, my... Uh, Previous organ group, the Deep Blue Organ Trio, was asked to open for Steely Dan um, for their North American tour uh, the summer of 2013, that was. Uh, so that was a, a, a great time and a successful uh, experience. So the following summer, I got a, a call asking for uh asking for my group to return and and at that point the uh the deep blue organ trio had disbanded so we were no longer but i was asked to uh to uh, be the opening act and they wanted the bobby broom trio so i said well great you know um uh, you mean the Bobby Pearl Trio, which is bass, uh, Dennis Carroll on bass, and, and uh, Micaiah McRaven at that point on drums, right? I mean, there's only one Bobby Pearl Trio. So, yeah, 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 that's the one. Okay, so 
I uh, got everybody uh, got everybody uh, their availability and arranged everything, and I'm ready. We're getting ready to go, and a couple of weeks out, I get another message saying, "No, they want organ. They want an organ group," which I suspected because that's been uh, what their preference has been for years, uh, in recent years anyway, uh, for opening acts. So. At that point, I had to say, well, you know what, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. They're like, oh, just throw something together, put something together. So, and I said, well, I can't do that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that kind of musician that's just going to put something together. I mean, the, yeah, the prospect of making um, that kind of money and having that kind of work and exposure and all of that was great, but not great enough to... Um, to entice me to just kind of put something together on the fly. So I declined the offer. Uh, at that point, I got a call from Micaiah saying, man, what, what, are, you, what, are, you, what are you doing? You can't. You, what are you doing? You can't not do this. I said, well, man, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not just going to call anybody and I don't, I, nobody's coming to mind on Oregon and, you know, but so he says, look, we need to sit down and figure this out. There's no way you can, you can't, you can't not do this. So I'll come over. We'll put our heads together. We'll get our Rolodexes out. And we'll go through names. So we proceeded to do that and went name after name after name. No, 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 no. Finally, we hit Ben Patterson. Now, mind you, I know Ben from Chicago. Ben was um, doing his undergrad work here uh, at University of Chicago and playing around with different people. Now, we had never played together, but I'd heard him on a handful, just a handful of occasions with other people. And at this point, Bobby, how long before you guys would have to be on tour are we talking about here? Like about three weeks. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so right yeah. down to the wire. Yeah, yeah pretty <laughs> much like now. Right. So, so Ben's name comes up, and it just stirred something in me. And I thought, you know what? That feels – that could work. I don't know why I, I knew that. But – I had to get his number because I didn't have it. So I tracked him down and he says, wow, you know, I'm actually in Chicago right now. He's since moved to New York and was living in New York, is living in New York. He says, I just happen to be in Chicago. I'm playing uh, the Blues Fest, blah, blah, blah. And I was planning on staying and just hanging out for a few weeks. I said, well, can you do this tour? He says, yeah, I think so. I said, well, great. So you're going to be around so we can rehearse. He's like, sure. He's, he says, well, we can, I, I can just leave with you guys from Chicago. I said, well, Ben, you might want to go home and pack a suitcase because we're not going to be coming home. You're going to need a lot more clothes than probably what you have. So, so that was the beginning. And after a very short time you know a few gigs a handful of gigs we were off and running and um, the chemistry was was great it was great uh and and so that was the uh 
the beginnings of uh, the, the organization. Take a quick break from the music to tell you about becoming a member of the Jazz Session. Visit patreon.com slash the jazz session, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the jazz session. For just $5 a month, you get bonus content every single month. If we reach 100 subscribers, the show will go to three episodes a month instead of two, which is where we're at right now. We're 30% of the way to that goal, which is very exciting. If we get to 200 subscribers, the Jazz Session goes weekly. So again, that's patreon.com slash the jazz session, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the jazz session. Thanks to our newest supporters, Julie and Ed. And now back to the music. pretty jazz friendly rock band i mean in terms of their own music but what's it like for you when you're performing in front of a a crowd that you know that a rock crowd that has come to see steely dan and it opens with Mm -hmm. a a jazz organ trio what's what's that experience like well um you know i kind of um refrain from calling them a rock group actually because their music is so vast um it uh you know, it's blues based, it's got elements of jazz, um, soul and R and B, um, and funk and all of the, you know, black diaspora, uh, African diaspora elements musically, uh, and rock, which is also one of those. So it, it, it they just you know they kind of just play music and yeah we can categorize it as rock but i think that's just one characterization of what they do fair and, enough you know not that they yeah i mean really so their audiences because their audiences are exposed to them in particular steely dan in particular they are um accepting of all of those styles. And I thought also because I'm uh, approaching music from pretty much the same vantage point and also uh, as far as the material that I play, um, you know, we're in the same uh, demographic uh, as far as our awareness of music and our musical backgrounds, meaning me and Steely Dan's audiences. So when I play uh, the songs that I play, they recognize those songs. And that's a big help, you know. Partially the reason why I do what I do, you know. Uh, it's um, somewhat selfish, and it, it may be totally selfish. Part of it's for me, and the other part's for the audience, you know. It just happens to uh, satisfy uh, a couple of my own personal needs as far as what I want to present musically. So to answer your question, 
I mean, the, the, the experience with the, with the other group was, I mean, I, we didn't know what to expect. Um, and as you say, here we are a little three piece jazz ensemble on a huge stage, uh, in a hall of thousands, uh, or an amphitheater. And, uh, how is this going to go over? Well, I guess that depends, you know, um, there's a certain energy that I always like to bring no matter what stage, uh, I'm performing on and, um, no matter the size of the, uh, the venue. And, uh, I, I think that kind of, that, that covered, uh, that covered it, uh, for me. And that helped to, uh, uh, allay any kind of feeling of something small, uh, going on on the stage. I mean, we weren't, we weren't playing, we weren't performing as though we were a small group. And that was a, na- a natural thing. Um, and that's what happened with the, with the current group, you know, it was, uh, um, very well received. Very well received. Uh, you know, sometimes we would we would receive standing ovations, believe it or not, from you know a small portion of the crowd, but standing nonetheless. That's awesome. And wow, what a beautiful feeling, you know, for an audience that they, you know, they, who is this guy, Bobby Broom? Hey, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really cool, man. I'm glad to hear that. So. Yeah. Um, I want to turn our attention back to uh, the the new record, Soul Fingers, again. And I mean, certainly, as you mentioned in the past, you have done uh, other records that that mine kind of this same era of your own uh, listening development. An entire album of Stevie Wonder songs, you know, the uh, other great bands, Mamas and the Papas, Turtles, Sly and the Family Stone, et cetera, et cetera. So as we... uh, It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It, well, it doesn't to me, but that might be because we're in the same boat. So, I, yes, it's right. it's very right. possible to somebody listening to the two of us. It does sound ridiculous, but on You're this right. on this album, uh, that first of all, I, I was I was surprised, kind of as it went through, by the song choices, and by surprised, I don't mean unpleasantly. I just mean like, oh, I probably wouldn't have thought of this, but it actually mm-hmm. turns out pretty well. And I'll tell you what, probably the biggest. Uh, the biggest gap between oh I think this would work great and it actually working great um, is the cover on here of While My Guitar Gently Weeps which is never a mm. song I would have thought to cover in this context and turns out mm. to just be I for at least for my ears and everybody will have their own opinion on this but for my right. ears kind of the highlight of the record it just it just jumps okay. out at you I think the arrangement is is really stunning so uh, as a way to kind of get into talking about the repertoire can you say something about that particular song why you chose it and how it ended up being the way it is on this record you know the development of the record was really kind of um, interesting we'll talk about that but very organic the unfolding of um, the choice of material and um, I think I was well into uh, you know I had uh, several of the songs uh, arranged and at some point um Steve Jordan, the producer, and I were talking, and he says, you know, you got to do a bossa nova. You know, every great jazz record, you got to have bossa nova on on it. So I said, okay, um, what 
let's see what I can do. And it may have been that that song was just in the air. My son was five or so around that time. And he was very into this version of um, the song that uh, Prince did for the American Music Awards or whatever that was. Yeah. Uh, where he plays that, that phenomenal guitar solo and throws the guitar up in the air at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, know, man. The audience. Yeah, so my son just loved that song. So maybe, you know, maybe he was listening to it a lot. But in any case, it just came to mind and I thought that's a it's beautiful melody, a beautiful the the chord structure is solid and lends itself to some nice improvisation and it would feel great as a bossa because of that melody. You know, it's just a just a, a floating, airy kind of melody. And that was it. You know, I put it together uh, at home, and it felt right, and, uh, and that was it. Talk about the, uh, as you mentioned, the overall way that the record came together. Give us some of the behind the scenes. Well, the first, uh, the, the way the whole thing came about, uh, the, the, the uh, like the birth of the record, I didn't even, you know, I had no plan really to record. Um, so we're talking 2015. So we had done the Steely Dan tour in 2014. And, um, this was the summer 2015 was the summer that I kind of was preparing myself for the previous two summers, you know, the summer that I wouldn't be doing anything. <laughs> you know, I was thinking that that was going to be it in 2013. Then we got the call to do that tour. Okay. Well, great. It's, it's the exact opposite of what I thought. Wonderful. Then 2014, I thought, well, you know, this has got to be that summer because, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'd make a, I'm, I'm down one group, and, <laughs> and so I'm just going to regroup and whatever. Nope, nope, 
uh, got a call again. So finally, 2015 was that summer. So it was the beginning, you know, maybe in May. And uh, I said, hey, you know, let me uh, check out GarageBand. My friend had been telling me to check out GarageBand for years. And I thought, you know, I don't have time. You know, when I, when I start working on uh, uh, home recording, I get super involved and start growing beards and, you know, <laughs> developing body odor and, you know, <laughs> neglecting things and people. And it's just, I, I get a little too wrapped up. So I kind of shied away from all things home recording for a number of years. And that used to really be my thing uh, back in the, in the eighties and into the nineties. So I said, well, let me, oh, I got plenty of time. Let me open up GarageBand. So I started messing around with the organ sounds and I said, wow, these sound kind of cute. You know, I kind of like this. So I started working on an ode to Billy Joe. And, you know, it's in 7-4 or 7-8, however you want to think of it. And I got to the the, the little hook or the, the main line in the song. And I thought, okay, that's got to be in 4-4. Four, four. So you can't switch between time signatures in GarageBand. It's not that advanced a program. So I had to immediately graduate to uh, Logic, which is the professional version of GarageBand. I got into it. I finished the arrangement. I really got into it because I'm like, oh, wow, look at these horn loops and horn patches and all these different things. And, and I created this, this huge arrangement. And wow, this is really cool. So then I did another one. And now in the back of my mind, I'm going, what are you doing? This, are you, is this, <laughs> is this a, you're working on your new record or what is this? And by the time I finished the second tune, I knew that the answer was yes. But I also knew that um, this was a bigger uh, production than my normal trio records. And I just felt that I I could use help. I just thought, you know, I need the help of a producer for for this. What made this there. particular record seem that way? What what was it about what was happening that made it seem like you needed someone? The 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 fact that I was hearing varied instrumental settings, uh, larger uh, number of instruments. I was leaning toward different feels between tunes, you know, different grooves and, and different feelings uh, in terms of style. Um, there was just a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And I, I felt like I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to risk it. <laughs> like I, 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 like I, I just felt like I wanted help. I wanted a producer to help me, to, to to realize this vision that I had. And I then asked, well, who could do that? Who could help me realize this particular vision? And the next thought was Steve Jordan. And then the next thought was, 
no way. He's what you know, he's too busy. He doesn't have time, you know, to he's doing Keith Richards or John Mayer or Cheryl Crow or somebody and why would he you know, why would he do this? <laughs> so I, I I brought all that to my wife, Maureen, and she looked at me like I was crazy. And she said, what are you talking about? Of course he would do it. And, you know, he loves music and he loves you. Just call him. So I said, okay, honey. <laughs> I called him. He, he answered me immediately. Like, you know, I, I was really pretty shocked. like this what what is steve's or what in this particular record what was steve's function i mean like kind of another pair of ears idea but what what is it that you needed him to do and, and what did he bring to them well it was the uh, what he brought was the epitome of anyone's idea of what a, a record producer is or should be uh, I, I didn't even, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm trying to think if I envisioned all of the, uh, functions and, and, and roles and duties, you know, before asking, I mean, I know what a record producer is and does and, uh, but I don't think I was thinking about it in that much detail. I knew that um, uh, inherent in my thinking that I needed that help uh, was all of the, the thought, you know, all of the detail that we're talking about now. So I didn't know he would be so great at it, though. And I mean, I, mean, I should have because this is what he does. But what he did was uh, found the right studio, picked one that he thought would uh, be appropriate and and uh, enhance the sound of the of the recording. Meaning, you know, the environment had to be conducive to um, 
creative, you know, creative, uh, creativity and, uh, a relaxed kind of, you know, uh, warm, uh, environment, you know, all of that. And he chose a place, uh, Brooklyn Sound in, uh, in Brooklyn that is basically like a museum of musical instruments. I mean, they had, I don't know, five to ten, more than five, close to ten Wurlitzer pianos. Like they had Wurlitzers that I didn't even know existed, like an, an acoustic Wurlitzer. Wow. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know it existed. Um, a bunch of basses, uh, electric, upright, all kinds of percussion, all kinds of drums, a million guitars, every amp you want. I mean, just absolutely unbelievable so how can you know how can you not get creative you just look around the room you might not even touch any of this stuff. <laughs> it's, it's just it, it just you know the the, the creative spirit is, is alive in that place but steve is so knowledgeable about instruments the sounds of instruments you know he's a pretty much a, a repository of information um regarding you know who played on what record what instrument they played like down to the brand and type and all of that kind of stuff he knows amps guitar amps he knows all of this stuff um sounds of gear um studio gear uh meaning outboard gear in the control room i mean he just knows what to do he knows how to produce sound meaning create sound enhance sound in the studio uh and then as far as uh musical uh, input and um uh, that kind of thing he was perfect making suggestions uh, you know every now and again letting us do what we do observing suggesting, you know, coaching and, and, and trying to elicit the feeling that he felt we were after and not, not settling for anything less than, you know, the best of that. So patient and just, just the whole thing. So, you know, I can't imagine trying to do all of that and play and think about, wow, how much money am I spending right now? Because we've been here for such amount of X amount of hours, you know? So I was able to forget about all of that and just focus on the performances and play. That sounds like quite a a gift. a really good feeling, really good feeling. I mean, this is the first time I've had a producer since, uh, I don't know, it's been forever, you know, a really, really long time. So, and this was the perfect time to have it, you know. Yeah. So, and then once the basic tracks were done, um, we spent about three or four days in the studio, maybe five um got the basic tracks and um and then kind of just chilled you know listened and thought about what we wanted to add and some of that was 
predetermined by my arrangements um, that I brought in from home, you know, that I presented to him uh, so that he would have an idea of what I was going for uh, in terms of, you know, how the song uh, should go uh, arrangement-wise, the feeling, uh, what the instrumentation was. And then some of it was uh, not decided beforehand uh, like the string the, the songs the, the two songs that the strings appear on the strings were not uh even a, a thought really uh until they became one and uh that just came about one day we were on the phone steve and i and he says, you know, I forget which song. I think it was my original. He says, you know, this song, it, it's great, but it needs something. And I said, well, you know, if I had my druthers, I would, I could, I, I would like to hear string quartet on it. So we started brainstorming, you know, I know this person, we can get that person and that kind of thing. And, and then it dawned on me, like, wait a minute, I just met a guy who was supposedly a phenomenal arranger. Okay, I have to find his name, because I don't remember his name. So I had to go, you know, go back to the, the the situation, who was there when I met him, and, you know, do some detective work, and I found him. His name is Matt Jones. Okay, great. So I found Matt Jones, and I told him what I was looking to do. And he said, yeah, I know who you are, and I'd love to do it. And um, I sent Steve, uh, Matt has a, had a, a YouTube uh, demo uh, reel and a website. I sent Steve a link to his site, and within five minutes, I'm getting a call like, you got to get this guy. We got to get him. You know, he's great. And um, string quartet turned into full string section <laughs> on two on two songs. You know, he he did the arrangements. I heard him great. Next thing you know, we were in the studio. I'm sitting there watching the strings play on on my songs and just eating it up. It was beautiful, beautiful. It's so cool because it it sounds like this process really allowed for things to develop, as you said, very organically, uh, yeah. you know, to when, to just the songs to come into their own, whatever they needed. Exactly. And so different than any other record that I've done in that way. You know, most of the, most of the previous records were, you know, a few days in the studio. Um, maybe I'd fix up a couple of things and then, that's it. We're done. When are we mixing? Yeah. <laughs> um, but this one took man, close to just just about a year from the time we did the the the, the 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 initial tracks to the time we were mixed. It took a, took a minute, but I I, I wound up um, enjoying that process because i was you know it was like life it's like well what's going to happen next you know well it's going to be good you know (laughs) 
Well, the uh, the record really shows all the care uh, that went into it, and uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, to talk to you about it. My guest uh, for the show has been Bobby Broom. The new album is called Soul Fingers. Uh, highly recommended to your attention. Bobby, uh, such a pleasure to have you on the show, and I hope you will uh, come back again. Thank you. Great to be with you again. show thanks to the respect sextet for the theme music dave rabel for the logo you can find the show on social media facebook.com slash the jazz session twitter at jazz sesh j-a-z-z-s-e-s-h i'm on twitter and instagram at jason d crane please do rate the show at apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts it really does make a difference and don't forget to join for just five bucks a month at patreon.com slash the jazz session p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the jazz session there are new episodes on the 1st and the 15th of each month. On January 15th, longtime Tedeschi Trucks bassist and David Bowie's final bassist, Tim LaFave. That's the show. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.